Thank you, Father, that uh, you're intimately acquainted with what we need, that you can see right now into everybody's heart, not just here in this room, but everybody watching online. Lord, I just thank you that uh, you're able to get us what we need, that your spirit moves um, as I preach, that your spirit just ministers to each person exactly what they need, ministers to their heart, comforts them, serves them with life, strengthens them. Thank you, Father, that it's your good pleasure, Lord. We thank you, Father, that you're, you're here with us. Your spirit is here with us. Your spirit is in us. Thank you, Lord, that your spirit search out the deep places in our heart, that your spirit um, bring forth the riches of your grace into every area of our lives, Lord. Thank you, Father, for the word of life. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. Um, I, I touched on it a little bit last week. Um, when, when we talked about, was last week the firstborn from creation? Yeah, so I, we, we touched on the, the, the priesthood of Jesus a little bit last week, and I just wanted to um, go into a little more detail concerning the priesthood of Jesus and um, his ministry to the world, right? When you think of a priest, you think of them ministering. I mean, that's why they call them a priest. They're, they're supposed to be ministering. They're not supposed to have this lofty position or this faraway thing where you think they're the godly ones and you're not they're supposed to uh, operate in the office where they're serving you or ministering something to you and the priesthood of jesus is centered around jesus ministering god to all of us right it's god that has a ministry and jesus come to minister to us the ministry of god And so I want to get into a little more detail about what the priesthood of Jesus looks like. If you you read in Hebrews chapter 5, verse uh, 11, I think that it is, the author of Hebrews talking about Jesus as a high priest um, after the order of Melchizedek, he says something that I always thought was interesting when I read the scriptures. He says, of which, of whom, there's many things to be said. But I can't say him to you because you're dull of hearing. So it, it seems like, I always thought that was funny. Like, tell us anyway, man. Right? I mean, <laughs> let us sort it out after. Right? But he, he basically says there's a whole lot of stuff I want to tell you about what it means that Jesus is the high priest and what that looks like. But I can't say it to you because you're not going to understand. It's going to be difficult for you to understand any of the things I'm saying because you're dull of hearing, right? And, and to be dull of hearing means to be a sluggard, right? And I, and I, I bring that up so we, we can have that word, we can give that word shape, because it's in the scriptures elsewhere where it talks about being a sluggard, right? And, and we can be of the mindset where we look at that word sluggard according to the wisdom of the world, where we think it talks about just a lazy person who doesn't want to work, Right? <laughs> You could say that about a person in the world if you like, right? I'm not trying to tell you you can't use that word for a person in the world, but that's not what that word's talking about in the Scriptures. And so what the author of Hebrews is talking about when he says you guys are dull of hearing, what he's saying is you haven't been diligent with the word that was given to you through Moses, right? You, you haven't um, continued in the word that God gave you through Moses. You haven't continued in the beginning doctrine of Christ. And so when it's time that you ought to be able to digest meat and I ought to be able to now get into it with you about this Melchizedek, 
right, which is even just a strange word, when I ought to be able to get into that with you and serve you some meat, listen, you still hadn't even digested the milk yet. You weren't diligent with the beginning principles that were given to you about Christ when Moses came down the mountain. And so you hadn't even digested the word there. You hadn't continued in that word, which just to connect some dots, that's what it's talking about in the book of James. When it talks about being a doer of the word, right? That's the same thing the author of Hebrews is saying when he says you're dull of hearing. He said you weren't doers of the word. Right. You heard the word, but you didn't continue in what that word said. You actually continued in something else. And the word that was given to these guys in the letter to the Hebrews is talking about the law that was given through Moses and that word that Moses gave them. Do you know what that word said? That word said that you cannot serve yourself life by the strength of your own hand. You cannot clothe yourself with life by the works of your own hands. You cannot gather peace and love and joy to yourself by the works of your own hands. That God is the provider of life. God is the only one who has life in himself. And therefore, he's the only one that can serve you with life. And God will do a work to cleanse you from the sin and death in this world. And God will serve you with the life you long for. That's the word that was contained in the law. Well, they weren't doers of that word. They beheld that word. They wrapped the thing on their arm and wrapped it around their head that was supposed to put in front of their eyes all the time the work of God when God led them out of Egypt by the blood of his lamb. God provided a lamb when they were in Egypt and they were led out by the blood of God's lamb. They weren't led out by their own works by performing the works of the law. Well, they were dull in hearing. They hadn't continued in that word. They weren't doers of the word. As Jesus came and said to them, they broadened their phylacteries, which means they added their own works to the word. Right? The whole point of the word they got from Moses was that your works are dead. What that means is, is your works don't have life in them. You can't produce life with your works. There's only one work that has life in it, and it's the work of Almighty God. And the point of that law that was given from Moses was that the work of God would be lifted up in their hearts and that they would be filled with meekness, meaning they would think nothing of their own works to produce life. Right? Now, they didn't continue in that word. How do you know? Well, because even those guys in the Hebrews, you know what they were still doing? Offering sacrifices. They were still doing the cleanses, the baptisms. They were still doing all the rituals in the law. They were still busy with all those things, never seen, never finding themselves turning away from their own works. And so the author of Hebrews is like, listen, I could get way off into Melchizedek now, but you guys are in need of the milk still. You're still in need of having your hearts turn away from your own works and your heart turn towards the work of God. Right. And so there's a lot of stuff that can be said about the high priest. Um, and I think that you guys aren't dull of hearing. <laughs> and so I can serve you guys. I can serve you guys up some steaks, right? And I only serve what God has served me first, right? So um, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 2 says, Jesus is a, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man. Now, there was an earthly tabernacle that Moses built, and the earthly high priest performed a service in that tabernacle. 
right? They, performed, they ministered inside of that tabernacle. They offered things to God. There were sacrifices. There were offerings. There was cleansings. There was baptisms. There were all these different kinds of things that the priests would do as a minister of the earthly sanctuary. But the author of Hebrews comes and says that Jesus is a minister of the true sanctuary, of the true tabernacle, and this sanctuary and tabernacle is one that isn't made with hands. And so the ministry Jesus came and performed didn't pertain to an earthly tabernacle made, with the, 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 made by the hands of a man. And what, what I want to say to all you guys is you're the temple of God. In Jesus' ministry as the high priest, yes, there is a heavenly tabernacle, and Jesus performed a ministry there, but the ministry Jesus performed there was with the intent that he could cleanse the temple of God, which is you. And he's not talking about cleansing you from your bad behavior so he can like you again. Right? Now, you might find that when you're filled with peace, you're no longer doing things or finding destruction manifest out of you because you're filled with peace and your flesh has been put to rest. But the ministry Jesus performed for the true sanctuary, the true tabernacle, you are the temple of God. The ministry Jesus performed is he come to do something where he cleansed you from the death that's in the world. He purged your conscience from the death that's in the world and where he would come and cleanse the image of God in your heart. He's trying to perform a ministry inside of you where he would cleanse the image of God in your heart. And in God's image being cleansed in your heart, what it would do is it would draw you to God. And in you being drawn to God, what would happen there is, is what you found then in the presence of God, what you found is the gift this guy, God, has to give you is an incorruptible life. And so the ministry of Jesus, the priesthood of Jesus, is about drawing you to God himself so that God himself can serve you with an indestructible life. That's the ministry of Jesus. And that's what the priesthood is talking about. The letter of the Hebrews says that Jesus was anointed by God, high priest, after the order of Melchizedek. After the order of Melchizedek. Do you guys know who Melchizedek is? Because it's like, what does that got to do with anything, right? I mean, I ask these questions with God. God's not embarrassed by your questions. I know sometimes we feel embarrassed, but God is not embarrassed. He loves the interaction, right? He's just looking to, to engage with you, and he gets excited with, with the engagement. But he's a high priest. He's been anointed high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. What it's really saying there is Jesus, the reason he's able to be high priest is because there's something about him that is consistent with this Melchizedek. Now, Melchizedek, if you guys don't remember, is someone that showed up on the scene after Abraham won a great battle. Right? And Melchizedek showed up there. Right? And the, 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 the thing about Melchizedek and the point that's being made about Melchizedek is that no one really knew who he was. That's why he's called Melchizedek. Now, you know, human beings, especially us, church people, I don't want to say church people, theologians, we, we fancy ourselves real smart, right? And so do you know what we do? We gather around all the time and we pontificate and we postulate about who and what this is and why we know this is who and what it is and how, we, how we're sure that this is. Some people say that it was Shem. Shem was one of uh, Noah's sons, right? And he was one of Noah's sons that also saw God's eyes were full of grace. And so some people think that that was Shem that showed up there, right, to see Abraham. There's other people that think it's the pre-incarnate Christ, right? That it, it's Christ himself before 
he showed up. Well, whether you believe it's Shem or whether you believe it's a pre-incarnate Christ, I'm not sure that that's the point or that's really what matters. What I mean is you're free to think whatever you want to think about that, right? I'm not going to tell you what you should think about that. But the whole point being that in not knowing who this guy Melchizedek actually was, he was without descent. He was without mother and father, right? And that's how the letter of Hebrews talks about Melchizedek. It says he was without mother and without father. And he was also without descent, without children. And so what it's trying to say there, the whole point of it saying that he's without father and that he's without mother and that he's without descent, what it's trying to say about that is there's no beginning or end to his life. You can't make out where his life came from and you can't make out where it ended, right? It's just a guy who has an endless life, right? There's no end to his life right? You can't see an end there. And the implication of the endless life, when you read in the letter to the Hebrews, the word endless means indestructible. And so if you have a life that's without beginning or without end, guess what that means? It's indestructible, right? It's indestructible. That's what it means that Jesus was anointed high priest after the order of Melchizedek. The reason why he could be high priest is because he had an indestructible life. Because for God, ministry to be carried out, the priest that was ministering God to the people would have to possess an indestructible life, a life without beginning or end, right? They would have to have that. When God thought of having a high priest, he was needing someone that not only possesses an indestructible life, but someone that can serve people who are already dead in sin with that same indestructible life. Because I don't know if you realize, but God's ministry is to mankind. Jesus came and ministered to mankind. I know we struggle to think of God having a ministry. Because when we think of a person having a ministry, we think of a person they're supposed to be serving the people. We struggle to think of God serving us. But God has a ministry, and His ministry is to serve His people with life. Right? Well, now he's got a problem because the people he wants to minister to, they're dead in sin. And so he wants to minister an indestructible life to people who are already dead in sin. And so when he thinks of someone being the high priest, he's thinking of a person that must possess an indestructible life, and they must be able to serve that indestructible life to people who are already dead in sin. And so that's why Jesus is called high priest. He's able to be called high priest because he's able to minister God's indestructible life to the world. He can come and minister the life God has in himself to the world. He's able to perform God's ministry because he suffered the same death that was tormenting the world, and then he overcame that death by the power of an indestructible life. So that's what Hebrews is talking about when it says Jesus made himself a little lower than the angels that he could partake or suffer at the hands of the same death we were suffering from, right? He came filled with an incorruptible life, the life he wants to minister or that God wants to minister to his creation, to his people. But his people are dead in sin. So how is he going to minister an indestructible life to people who are dead in sin? Well, he's going to enter into that place with them. In entering into that place with them, he can now serve them with the indestructible life he has in himself, right? That's what it means that Jesus could be high priest after the order of Melchizedek. It's trying to tell you what it requires to be high priest 
And it's trying to show you the reason why Jesus could be called high priest or why he was manifested as the high priest, okay? Hebrews 2.17 says, Wherefore, in all things it behooved him. Behooved who? Jesus. In all things it behooved Jesus to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people, right? Do you see what he says there? That Jesus needed to be made like unto all of us. Well, what were, where we were all dead in sin. We were all dying. We were all suffering at the hands of death. And he needed to be made like unto us, that he could be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. That he could accomplish God's ministry that was full of mercy, Right? And that he would make reconciliation for the sins of the people. And so a high priest, guys, we talked about the high priest having their ministry from God. The high priest is a minister of the things pertaining to God. That's what they're supposed to do. They're ministers of the things pertaining to God. And what that looks like is God's got something in his heart. God's got something in his mind. He's got something he wants to minister to everyone right? Like he, he's excited about something he has, right? And he wants to minister this to everybody else. And that's what he's thinking. And so the high priest is the minister of the things that's pertaining to what's on God's mind and what's in God's heart and what he wants to minister to the world. And what would happen is, is the high priest could see what's on his mind, what's on his heart, what he wants to minister to the world. And then the high priest would visit the people with God's ministry. That's the whole purpose. You're here to minister what's on God's heart and what's on God's mind for the people. And then you minister that to the people. And so really the high priest is all about ministering the knowledge of God to the people. They, they even, you would even say they minister God himself to the people. And what that means is they would minister his heart. They would minister his desire. They would minister his work to the people. That's supposed to be the service of the high priest where they would minister what's in God's heart, God's desire, and the work of God to the people. And you could call that the knowledge of God, right? Where people become intimately acquainted with God's heart and his desire for their life and what he's done to bring about his heart and his desire for their life, right? And so that's, that's the high priest. That's what your ministry is all about. Now, you might say, well, what are the things pertaining to God? What is his mind? What is his heart? What is he desiring to minister to people? Well, the second part or the last part of that verse in Hebrews 2.17 tells us to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. That's the things pertaining to God. God busy desiring to make reconciliation for the, the sins of the people. And the reason why he's desiring to make reconciliation for the sins of the people is because his heart is filled with tender love for the world. When he looks at the world and he sees them suffering, when he sees the world being tormented by sin and by death, he's filled with tender love. And what he's thinking of is, I want to make reconciliation for their sins. I want to make reconciliation for the sin of the world. I don't like it that they're in the place where they're separated from eternal life, from my indestructible life. I don't like it where they're one body with death and they're not one body with my indestructible life. And so I want to do something to reconcile them from their union to death towards so they can be joined together with me in my indestructible life. 
That's the things pertaining to God, right? God sees that though our sin was red as crimson, causing death to reign over us, he's busy in his heart thinking, I want to make it white as snow. How can I make it white as snow? I've walked by these people and they're in their blood. And when I see them in their blood, man, my heart is filled with love for them. I want to join myself to them. I want to cleanse them from the blood that is their death. And I want to clothe them in my indestructible life. That's what God is thinking about wanting to do when he sees the world dead in sin, right? And the word reconciliation in the scriptures is very closely associated with the word atonement, right, that it's used. You can even say that it's the same thing, really. I wouldn't argue with somebody um, if they wanted to say there's a slight nuance. If there, you think there's a slight nuance, go, go ahead with that. Um, I, I won't argue with, with that. But really when it talks about the high priest as a minister of things pertaining to God, what it's talking about and what it means is that God wanted to make atonement for the sin of the world. God wanted to perform a ministry that could atone for sin. That's what God wanted to do. And I need a minister that can do that. Right? That's what God is thinking. Now, God's idea of atonement, guys, His idea of atonement isn't that He needs to punish someone for sin. That's not His idea of atonement. Right? Atonement speaks of something that was crooked being made straight. And so what God thinks of atoning for the sin of the world or making an atonement, he thinks there's something I see that's crooked and I want to make it straight. And his idea of atonement would be to restore mankind from what sin is doing to them. That's his idea of atonement. He would see what sin is doing to people and he would want to make an atonement that could restore people from what sin is doing to them, right? That could heal them from what sin is doing to them. When you look at the first man, Adam, and he ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? That was his disobedience, right? He ate from the tree even though he knew the tree would serve him with death, and God told him not to eat from it. Well, when he ate from that tree, what did sin start doing to him? It uncovered his nakedness, right? And all of a sudden, he saw himself clothed in death. All of a sudden, he saw he had a body of death. All of a sudden, blood has come filtering into his body. And the, his bones are working to produce life. And he saw he was clothed in a body of death. And his heart was filled with fear at the thought of being in the presence of God because of his nakedness. He had this idea about God that if God finds me naked like this, in this death, if God comes and finds me in this sin, there's punishment waiting for me. God's going to punish me with death when he sees me naked and dead in sin. He's going to come and he's going to punish me. And so you see Adam hiding from God, right? All that's the effects of sin. And so when God thinks of atoning for sin, what he's thinking of is, I don't like it that my man is filled with fear. It's not right that my human, that the people that I love, that I created for life, it's not right for them to be clothed in death. It's not right for their hearts to view me and think that what's in my hand to give them is punishment instead of eternal life. It's not right. I want to atone for that, meaning I want to restore them from that. I want to get rid of the fear from their heart. I want to cleanse them from their body of death. I want to heal them from the death that sin is serving them with. And I want to heal their hearts from fear. I want to purify their hearts from fear. That's destroying the work of the devil. 
And when he's thinking about atonement, that's really what he's thinking about doing. The devil has performed a ministry on my humans, on my people. The devil has performed a ministry. And the ministry the devil has performed is he's got it right to sting them with death. And now that death has filled their heart with fear. And when they look at me, they think there's a whole lot of reasons to be afraid of being near me. And so they're not coming to me when they're dead in sin so that I could clothe them with life, but rather they think there's punishment waiting for them when they get here. So they're running away from me. I got to do something to destroy the devil's ministry. And I need someone that can minister to my people in such a way that it would restore them from the effects of the devil's ministry that could restore them from the effects of sin and death. That's what he's thinking about. Reconciliation for the sin of the world. We think so much from the perspective of God being angry with us because of what we've done. But God's thinking of the harm that's already coming to us at the hands of sin. God doesn't need to punish someone extra that's in sin. They're already suffering at the hands of sin. And so when God thinks of atoning for sin, he's thinking of how can I heal them from what sin is doing to them? I need a high priest that can minister the mercy I feel in my heart when I find people dead in sin. I need a high priest that can make reconciliation, meaning that can make their sin that's causing death to reign over them white as snow. That's what I need. That's what I need. He's thinking of, he needs someone who can crush the serpent's head. That's what he's thinking. And when he's thinking of who can be my priest, who can minister my heart to the people. Well, since I'm busy wanting to crush the serpent's head, I would need a high priest that could crush the serpent's head. I would need that kind of a high priest. I would need a high priest that could rebuke the devourer that could bind the strong man in people's hearts, that could uh, spoil his goods, that could make desolate his house inside of people. I would need someone who could create within mankind a blameless heart in my presence. This is God running down. Well, if I want to perform a ministry, who can do it? And what does it look like? This is the ministry of God. Notice God, what did he say to the serpent? He said, because you did this, the seed of woman, you'll bruise his heel, he'll crush your head. God's already telling you what his ministry is. I'm going to crush the head of the serpent. When you look in Zechariah, and Joshua the high priest is standing in the presence of God, and Satan is standing there also, accusing Joshua, right? Trying to work condemnation in Joshua's heart because of the body of death or the rags that he's clothed in. What does Michael come and say? The Lord rebuke you, Satan. God's ministry is to rebuke the accuser. That's the devourer, to rebuke the devourer. God's thinking, I need someone that can do all of that, that can perform that kind of a ministry because that's what's in my heart. I'm the servant God. Do you know why we can even find ourselves serving other people? Because we're beholding a God that first served us. You can't find born in you something that you don't see in God. And the reason why you can even find people serving others is because they've first been served by God. And I promise you, when you've been served by God, you're not busy thinking you need to be served with anything else. You feel an abundance coming out of you to serve people. Hallelujah. So God's thinking, man, I want to atone for sin. I want to make reconciliation. Reconciliation means like they couldn't access the tree of life. Remember the cherubims? 
They couldn't access the tree of life because they were one body with death. Well, I want to make reconciliation. I want to get those cherubims out of the way. I want to make it to where they can just come and partake of life again, to where they're no longer one with death, that death isn't reigning over them, but they're standing in the grace that my high priest will minister to them. And that grace will give them free access to the tree of life. This is what God's thinking about wanting to perform. This is what he's busy thinking of. And so he's needing someone that can do that. He's needing someone that can minister his indestructible life to the world. He's thinking of a priesthood that can restore man from death to life. He's thinking of someone who can perform a ministry where mankind could be translated from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his indestructible life. That's what he's thinking about. Who can perform that? Right? Well, when Jesus is called a high priest after the order of Melchizedek, what he's observing about Jesus, because Jesus is him, <laughs> Jesus is his son. It's, Hebrew says he's the, he's the brightness of God's glory, the express image of God's person. And if you keep reading, God even says to him, God calls him God. They call each other Lord and God. And so G, God beholds all of these qualities that a person would need to minister his desire to the world in Jesus. And because he sees it all in Jesus, he says, he calls him, he is the high priest that I need. He is the high priest that can perform the ministry that is needed in the true tabernacle or the true temple, which is my people, which is you. Right? In the, in the Old Testament, the book of Samuel, God is prophesying of this. God says in 1 Samuel 2.35, I will raise me up a faithful priest. <laughs> oh, oh, a faithful priest. A faithful priest is just one that is able to perform God's ministry. Right? It just means someone that possesses all the attributes to accomplish what's in God's heart for people. Right? That's what it means. He said, I will raise me up a faithful high priest. That shall do according to that which is in my heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house, and he shall walk before my anointed forever. Now, obviously, there's the historical context of that specific time. But as Jesus said on the road to Emmaus, when he expounded on all of the scriptures from Moses to the, the prophets, all the things concerning himself, Samuel is obviously prophesying of Jesus and how God would raise up a high priest, right? That could accomplish God's ministry in the earth, right? I just love, I can't get enough of thinking about God as a ministry. I don't know why, but I think it changes for me what God's after, right? I, I think probably because in the world, it's really easy for people to think that ministry is supposed to be about serving people. And so when I think about God as a ministry, right, and what his ministry is, it, it just, it, it reveals to me the God that wants to wash my feet. It reveals to me the God that cleanses me from all that hurts me, right? And I, I just love that, that way of thinking about it. But Samuel, I will raise me up a faithful high priest. Well, don't forget, I just read in Hebrews 2, it says Jesus is what? A merciful and faithful high priest. In what? In the things pertaining to God. 
Well, Samuel says this faithful high priest would have to see the mind and the heart of God and then be able to perform what is in God's heart and what is God's desire for the world. Remember Jesus come and said, sacrifice and offerings you never desired. I read the law and I realize when I read the law, the law was never prophesying of what you desired for man to bring to you and offer to you for their sin. But what you were always busy thinking of is you desiring to offer your own body to be broken because you desired mercy. You wanted to minister mercy to a world that was suffering at the hands of sin. And you saw the only way you could administer mercy to them is if you gave your own body up to be broken, is if you provided it yourself to be the lamb that's god's mind and heart well he needs a high priest that sees that because then they'll come ministering that right and so jesus is a minister of the sanctuary of the true tabernacle not made with hands he saw what was in god's heart and what was in god's mind like we just said, he is the brightness of God's glory, the express image of God's person. Him and God are one. He is Emmanuel, God with us. So he's like tracking with God, right? He's like, I see you, bro. I get it now. All these cats I've been around, they've been trying to tell me about the sacrifices I got to bring to you. But I see that the sacrifices were never about what we could bring to you, but it was always about what you would give to man. Hallelujah. Right? So he saw that clearly. And because he saw it clearly, Jesus is God with us, ministering God to us. Jesus saw God's desire wasn't to punish people for their sin. He saw that God's desire was to offer himself up to be broken for the sin of the world. Well, that's a big difference because all the Levitical high priests thought that God did desire to punish everybody for their sin. And they thought all the sacrifices they were offering was to appease this God who wanted to punish people for sin. And they thought the punishment he wanted to give man was now taken out on these sacrifices. And so now he won't punish us. Well, Jesus sees that's not what's going on with God. He sees that God's desire was to offer himself up to be broken for the sin of the world. Jesus saw that God was never wanting sacrifice from people, but was always desiring to visit people with his tender love. The whole point of the sacrifice is I will provide myself a lamb because my heart is filled with tender love for you. I'm not filled with the desire to punish you when I find you dead in sin. I'm desiring to heal you from your diseases. I'm desiring to heal you from your brokenness. And the way I'm gonna do it is I'm gonna offer up my own self. I'm gonna prepare a body for us so that we can give our body to be broken for your sin. That's what Jesus sees. He's like, man. The world is filled with the fear of death. Not just a fear that they're going to die, but the fear that what's waiting for them in your presence is punishment and death. That's what the world is thinking. And that's keeping them from coming to you, oh God. And so Jesus sees that the law and the prophets was about God wanting to provide himself as the lamb so that he could take away the sin that was bruising his people with death. He saw that there's healing in God's wings. 
He saw that there's fullness of joy in life in the presence of God, but he saw a world that was thinking because of their sin-stained conscience, because the voice of the accuser was all the time uncovering their nakedness, was all the time working condemnation and fear in their hearts. He saw the world sat in a place where they didn't think there was healing for them in the presence of God. They thought there was punishment and death. And Jesus came to minister a God that wants to heal us from our diseases, not punish us because we're diseased. The mercy of God. I mean, how can we say God's the one with the mercy if Jesus isn't God, right? Then Jesus would be the one with the mercy, not God. Right? We would say Jesus is full of mercy, but God, not so much. But the mercy of God is contained in him providing himself as a lamb to save his people, right? God's the one who saved us, right? God saved us. God, the Father, and the Son, and the Spirit. All working together as one God to minister the mercy they feel for their people to them. All of them working together as one God to offer themselves as the lamb that can save their people from death. All of them working together to offer themselves as the lamb that can cleanse their image in the hearts of the people, that can rebuke the devourer, that can crush the serpent's head, that can draw the people to them so they can clothe them with life. Because isn't that what God did when he found Adam finally? What did he do with Adam? Did he punish Adam? No, he clothed him. And that's how God atoned for sin. He clothed Adam in the life of his lamb. He clothed Adam in his own life. He provided himself a lamb to clothe Adam. That's how he atoned for Adam's sin. He restored Adam from the fear that sin was serving him with. He restored Adam from the shame he felt over the death that was manifesting in his body. Oh, wretched man that I am, Adam said. Will God atone for the wretchedness Adam felt by showing up and loving him, by giving Adam his life? That's atonement. Adam no longer felt, oh, wretched man that I am. But Adam started living like one loved by God. Right? Adam no longer felt fear in the presence of God. He felt tender love. That was the atonement for sin. Sin filled your heart with fear at the thought of standing in the presence of God. God atones for that by serving you with his life. And now you feel his tender love when you stand in his presence. That's atoning. Oh, man. The Father is God. The Son is God. The Spirit is God. And they saw their people were brokenhearted. And they wanted to visit the brokenhearted, their people, with their tender love. That's what they wanted to do. They wanted to perform a ministry. They come together to perform a ministry. And so Jesus offers his hands into the life of the Father. Into your hands I commit my life. Right? That's Jesus as God. The Son. Offering his life into the hands of the Father. And do you know why he does it? Because he knows the Father won't suffer him to see corruption. He knows the Father won't allow death to overcome his life. He was strengthened by the love he saw in the Father's eyes for him to give his body up to be broken for us. Right? And in that, in that whole situation where Jesus commits his life into the hands of the Father. 
You don't commit your life into somebody's hands if you don't think their eyes are filled with only tender love for you. I promise you that. Listen, we struggle to trust people with our lives that we know love us, but we think they can't perform love perfectly. Imagine if when you looked at God, you thought, well, what's going on here is God has hid his face from me because of sin. You think you're committing your hands into the, your life into the hands of a God whose face is hid from you? No. In fact, it's impossible to do something like that. You would have to see this guy's face is shining down on me in adoration. He loves my life so much, he'll never allow the death that's come upon me to overcome me. His love is so great for me that I don't have to preserve my own life here. I can give my body up to be broken. The Father will preserve my life. That's the Father, Son, and the Spirit working together, ministering life to the world. That's how Jesus is a merciful and faithful high priest. The ministry of God to serve the world with life was being performed. Mm -mm -mm. Does this make any sense? Hebrews 9. We'll begin with verse 6. Now when these things were thus ordained, the priests went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. But into the second part of the tabernacle went the high priest only, or went the high priest alone once every year, and not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people. The Holy Ghost thus signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest, while as the first tabernacle was yet standing. That sounds like a whole lot of, I don't know, huh? I mean, if you don't take the time to like go and read about the tabernacle and all the stuff, I mean, you could kind of be like, my goodness, man, what does that mean? Right? But don't let the wordiness convince you that you can't see the beauty that's there. Right? And don't let uh, technical explanations convince you that you don't see the beauty of what's being contained there, right? You don't have to understand technicalities to see the beauty, right? And really what these technicalities are trying to portray is just a beautiful picture that you can look at. So what those verses are talking about is the Day of Atonement, right? That's why it talks about into the second part of the tabernacle, the high priest would go alone and only once a year. Well, that's the Day of Atonement. On the Day of Atonement, the high priest would go into the holiest of holies or the presence of God, and they would come with blood. That was the manner in which they were able to enter into the presence of God, and the presence of God would be a picture of heaven. Right? And so the, 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 it's talking about the Day of Atonement and the, particularly the service the high priests perform on the Day of Atonement in order to enter into the presence of God in the Holy of Holies. Now listen, the point was never for only the high priest to enter the Holy of Holies alone. That was never the point. If you notice, the, it, the verse goes on to say, that the high priest only went in once a year under the law and only him went in, the Holy Spirit thus signifying that the way into the presence of God hadn't been made manifest yet. 
And so what he's trying to say to you is the point of all this going down, the point of what was depicted there in that temple service, in that uh, sanctuary, was never about just the high priest entering in. The point was never just about making a way for the high priest to enter in. Yes, the high priest had to first enter in, but the entire point of the high priest entering in was to now make a way for all people to enter in. For all people to enter into the presence of God, stand face to face with God in the Holy of Holies and with, with all people, not just one time a year, but every single moment of every single day. And the author of Hebrews in another place in chapter 8 would come and say, the day is coming, or I prophesied of the day that would come where everybody would know God. That's what he's talking about, where everybody could come into the presence of God in the Holy of Holies and live there. Not one guy one time a year. And that was the knowing. The high priest was thought to know God, meaning the high priest had intimacy with God on account of the high priest able to stand in the presence of God. Well, do you know what you have intimacy with when you have intimacy with God? You have intimacy with his life. You have intimacy with his grace. You have intimacy with his joy, with his mercy, with his peace, with his love. And the author of Hebrews says there was coming a day and God called Jesus a high priest after the order of Melchizedek because Jesus was going to perform a ministry where it wasn't just one guy that had intimacy with God one day out of the year, but that all people would know God. They would all be able to have intimacy with God on account of a high priest that could minister God's mercy to the world. Hallelujah. So yeah, the high priest had to do some things to get into heaven. I don't know if you guys realize it. Jesus had to do some things to get into heaven. You know what he had to do? He had to put off the body of corruption. He had to shed his blood. He had to lay down the life that he had from the world so that he could ascend into the heavenly tabernacle. Because how are you going to ascend into the heavenly tabernacle unless you per first put off the body of corruption? Because flesh and blood can't inherit the kingdom of God. And so Jesus had to put off the body of corruption before he could pass through the first heaven, the second heaven, and enter into the third heaven as a man having shed the body of corruption and now able to inherit the kingdom of God. And so, yeah, he had to do some things so he could even get up there. But the point of him being up there is now he was going to make a way to where we could all be with him where he was. He even says that in the scriptures. I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you will be there with me. He's talking about drawing people to God so that they're intimate with the very life of God. Glory to God. And so what God was desiring when he thought of a high priest, his desire was for people to know the mercy in his heart. He saw that sin was making people think his heart was filled with a desire to punish. But he knew that what was in his heart was actually mercy. And so he wanted people to know the mercy in his heart. Because what he said was, if the people can really see the mercy in my heart, what's going to happen is they're going to come to me. Because if they see what's in my heart, when I find them suffering at the hands of sin. If Adam would have known that God was going to clothe him when Adam first saw his nakedness, you think he's coming to God or running from God? He's coming to God. If Adam would have known that God's heart was filled with mercy when Adam was suffering at the hands of the body of death, if he would have known that, he would have called upon God's name instead of hiding from God. But Adam didn't see God's heart was filled with mercy. He thought there was punishment waiting for him because God told him, don't eat from that tree. You know what Adam thought? Adam 
Adam had the thinking of the world. Well, they, he thought, God thought, well, you got what you deserve, bro. And because you got what you deserve, let me give you a little extra. That's not mercy. Mercy isn't thinking about whether you've done right or wrong. Mercy isn't thinking about it getting you what you deserve. Mercy is busy thinking about it hurts me, it bothers me so much to see this being that is my kind suffering at the hands of sin and death. The thing that's wrong here is people that were never meant to suffer are suffering now. The thing that's wrong here is that the devil has made a house inside of my people and they're supposed to be my temple. That's the thing that's wrong. And he's thinking of healing that. So God thought, I want people to know the mercy in my heart because when they see the mercy in my heart, they're not going to think punishment is waiting for them when they come to me. They're going to see that I'm going to serve them with life and they're going to come running to me when they find themselves needing life, when they find themselves dead in sin, they won't be thinking about how they're going to perform a sacrifice or they're going to perform a vow to God. How many of you have made a lot of vows to God when you were suffering at the hands of sin that if he would just take it away, you promise you'll do this? I was a walking vow maker because I was suffering every day, <laughs> right? You see that, listen, man, it's not about the vows you can make to God. When you see the mercy in his heart, you see the vow in his faithfulness to your life, right? You, you, whatever hurt you feel at the destruction that you experience, listen, God is experiencing it at least as much as you. And it ain't like pity. It ain't like where, oh, I'm, I wish it wasn't like that for them. But yeah, what are you going to do? You know, like I feel pity for like, I mean, we have a lot of roadkill around here, don't we, guys? Listen, man, I, I don't like seeing animals on the side of the road dead. I, I'm just being honest. When I see a possum or a raccoon or whatever or a dog, it doesn't make me happy. But if I'm being honest, what I feel is pity because I don't see that as a human, right? I feel that, oh, it's sad that happened, right? But it's like I'm off to the next thing, right? God doesn't feel like that with us. He doesn't see us as a roadkill. He doesn't see us as a possum or a dog or a raccoon that died on the side of the road. He sees someone that looks exactly like him. He sees someone with the same value as himself. And so when he sees us suffering, he's so close to us that he's feeling our suffering with us. And he sits in the place where he realizes, I have a ministry, right? We only think of like that in humans, where like, you know, you're growing up in church and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit tells you, you have a ministry. Oh, hallelujah, I have a ministry. Well, God sees us suffering and he thinks, I have a ministry. And my ministry is full of mercy. And my ministry is to serve these people who are suffering with life. But they think there's punishment waiting for me. They think my ministry is punishment. They think it's a ministration where I serve them with death. And they don't see that what's waiting for them, that my ministry is to serve them with an indestructible life. They don't see that I'd rather give my own body up to be broken than let theirs be broken. I mean, for a lot of years, I looked at the ministry of the high priest. Now, if I'm just being honest, this is how I looked at it, even for like the first few years in grace, if that's what we want to call it, right? There's so many different names that get tossed around. Who knows all the isms, all the whatever. It's just the gospel is what I've realized, right? There's just the gospel. And either... You see the gospel clearly or you're in varying degrees of some cloudiness and it's still being straightened out. 
right? But for a lot of years, the way I looked at the ministry of the high priest was as if God didn't want me in the house, <laughs> right? Like we had an electrician come to the house the other day to look at some our lights because our lights are like 40 years old, so the wires are all jacked up. And, you know, he's like, well, I mean, do I, you want, I'm going to put these plastic bags on my shoes, right? Because he doesn't want to track mud into the house. And so I'm like, well, are your shoes even muddy? They don't look muddy. He's like, no, they're not. I said, well, you ain't got to put those plastic bags on them. Well, for the longest time, I thought that God saw me as if I was full of mud. And because I was all dirty with mud, he didn't want me in the house, Right? Like, it bothered him to think of me being in the house because of my sin. That, that's how I looked at it. That's why I thought we couldn't enter into the holiest place. I thought, I'm filthy and I'm a dirty, and God doesn't want me in the house when I'm filthy and when I'm dirty. That God's mad at mankind because of our sin. And because of that, he doesn't want us in the holiest place till he can get rid of all of our dirt and he can accept us. Or till he can deal with the anger he feels for us because we're dirty. Right? I don't know if you realize it, but you don't get clothed and then come in. You come in and then he clothes. So he wasn't trying to keep you out because you were naked. That's got nothing to do with it. The problem is, is he saw you were filled with the fear of death. Is that your heart was filled with the accusation of the evil one. And that every time you would try to approach God, by the strength of your own hand to clothe yourself, what would happen is, in the presence of a God that shines with the glory of life, what would happen is, is the serpent would uncover your nakedness because you didn't have that same glory clothed on you. And what would happen is, is that fear you felt would work death in you and you would die. God didn't want that. I got to cleanse the temple. I got to cleanse my image in their heart. So they don't feel fear at the thought of being in my presence. That's what he's thinking of doing, right? And so I used to think God's got to deal with his anger before he'll let me in the house. He's, he's got to get, he, he's disgusted with my filth, right? Like when I cut my grass, the dust gets everywhere and it's all over me. We have an outdoor shower and you got to shower before you even come into the house. And I used to think that God's disgusted with my dirtiness. He's so disgusted, he doesn't want me in his house, right? And then I saw the ministry of the high priest is, well, God did something to clean me up so he could tolerate me being in his house. That's how I saw it. But when you really look at the ministry of the high priest, it's all about God himself making a way for us to be able to come to him. It's about God wanting us in the house. It's about God seeing the fear in our hearts is keeping us from drawing near to him. It's about God seeing that the depth that, got, that, that Satan got right to manifest in us was now working fear and condemnation in our hearts when, he was, when we were in his presence. And so the ministry of the high priest, the ministry involved in the sanctuary and in the tabernacle wasn't to make God okay with us. It wasn't about cleansing our image to God as if God was keeping us out. The true ministry of the sanctuary and the tabernacle was God performing a ministry to draw us to himself. It was God cleansing his temple by cleansing his image in our hearts. That's what it was about. It's about God making us feel comfortable in his presence, not making him feel comfortable about being in our presence. 
See, I had it backwards. I thought God's so uncomfortable to be around me because of my sin. And he had to do something to where he could be okay with being around me. When it was the opposite. I was so uncomfortable about being around God because of my sin. And he had to do something inside of me where I could be comfortable in his presence even if I saw sin. And that's the whole ministry there. It's God cleansing this temple by cleansing his image in my heart. The ministry of the sanctuary and the true tabernacle was about God creating within us a blameless heart. Right? It says that in Ephesians, that God uh, predestined us in Christ, that we would stand before him without blame, in love. You see what he's talking about there? He's, and so the ministry of the high priest and the tabernacle and the sanctuary is about God creating within us a blameless heart one that doesn't accuse us when we're in his presence, right? One where the Satan has been rebuked in our hearts, just like Michael rebuked Satan when Joshua was standing before God. The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The ministry of the high priest is about God rebuking the voice of the evil one from your heart when you stand in the presence of God. You know who the evil one's accusing? He's accusing you but he's also accusing God to you, right? If you look at the ministry of the high priest on the Day of Atonement, they sprinkled blood on the mercy seat. They sprinkled blood on the mercy seat. The sacrifice. After they took the sacrifice and the blood ran out of the sacrifice, and the sacrifice shed its blood, the high priest would take some of the blood and he would sprinkle it on the mercy seat. The blood was supposed to be a sign. And do you know what the blood was a sign of? Because it's a sign to us. We thought, I, I used to think the blood had to be there so then God would be merciful. Like because of the blood there, now God can be merciful. No, the blood came because God was merciful to begin with. And so the blood is supposed to be assigned to us. And you know what? It's Jesus that shed his blood, isn't it? Isn't that what Hebrews said? And so the blood was a sign of what? It was a sign of Jesus giving his body to be broken for us. When we were in the place of thinking God wanted to punish us for our sin, we see the blood of Jesus, and we see that blood as a sign of Jesus desiring to give his body to be broken for us. And what it is, is it's a sign that God desires mercy when he thinks of sinners, not punishment. The blood on the mercy seat is a sign of God himself giving himself up to be broken so he can deliver us from the bondage of death and so that he can serve us with his indestructible life. And so you're supposed to see the blood that Jesus shed. You're supposed to see the blood on the mercy seat. And you're supposed to hear God testifying to you. And do you know what you're supposed to hear God testifying to you? You're supposed to hear, this is my body broken for you. Because do you know what happens when you see the blood and you hear the voice of God saying, this is my body broken for you? Do you know what's filled in your heart? You're filled with the mercy of God. And you're filled with the God that desires to give himself up to be broken rather than let you be punished. Well, all of a sudden, that creates a big contradiction because you thought he desired punishment, not mercy. Well, if he, if he desires punishment and not mercy, then why did he give his own body up to be broken? 
You see a God that rather die your death himself than let you die. You see a God that isn't foaming at the mouth to punish someone. You see a God that's just dripping with blood to keep his creation from being punished. That's what the blood's supposed to declare. That's what you're supposed to hear when you see the blood. The blood says God provided himself a lamb because he was bothered so much at the death sin was serving you with. And you start to think, this guy is filled with tenderness towards me. I mean, who does that? Who comes into the earth and allows themselves to be nailed to a cross? Who does that for ungodly people, for quote-unquote sinners? Who does that? What's his motivation? Your, your heart starts racing, and you start to see. That's what the blood is supposed to testify of. Well, the serpent ripped the message of mercy that the blood was supposed to testify of because you know what we thought the blood testified of? God got all his anger out on Jesus. That don't testify of mercy. Hebrews 2. Remember, in Hebrews 2, I say this a lot, but Hebrews 2 talks about mankind being in bondage all our days through the fear of death. It says we're all our days in bondage through the fear of death. The fear of death has many applications, right? I described it in Adam. That's the fear of death. And so you could describe the fear of death in Jewish people or Gentile people, right? I want to look at it, though, from the, the, the perspective that this is a letter to Hebrew people. And the Hebrew people, they had a history with, with the, the earthly tabernacle. And you know what else they had a history of? They had a history where people died in the presence of God. And it's no accident that this Hebrew guy brings up the fear of death in the tabernacle, in the presence of God, in the ministry of the high priest. And how the high priest was going to create a way for everyone to be in the presence of God and know God. And if you read in Hebrews 11, it says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Right? But then it describes that what that faith does is that faith persuades you that God's heart is filled with mercy. That his heart is filled with tender love towards sinners. His heart isn't filled with punishment. What that faith does is it persuades you that there's a reward waiting for you when you come into the presence of God. There isn't punishment waiting for you. There's life waiting for you. We live by the faith that was manifested in Jesus Christ. Well, isn't Jesus seated at the right hand of God? Do you know what that means, that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God? It means that's what God has in his hand to give sinners. An incorruptible life. Without faith dwelling in your heart, the faith that's revealed in Jesus, you ain't coming to God. And if you ain't coming to God, God can never be happy because he knows you're going to perish. He doesn't want you to die. He wants you to live and not die. So these Hebrew people had a background where people died in the presence of God. And they didn't understand why people died in the presence of God. So what happened was, they just judged that the reason they died was because God punished them with death. And the natural conclusion becomes, well, if everybody that gets around this guy dies, it must mean what this guy has to give sinners is punishment. Now you're filled with fear to ever be in the presence of God. Well, they didn't understand 
that the reason why death manifested in those people was because their hearts condemned them in the presence of God. And they didn't understand the reason why their hearts condemned them was because the serpent was uncovering their nakedness, accusing them while they were in the presence of God, just like we see with Joshua, the high priest, in Zechariah. They didn't understand that that worked fear in those people unto death. Remember, God told Moses, put up a barricade. Put up a barricade. Lest the people try to run up on me and I break forth on them. Now, if God wanted to punish them with death, why would he want Moses to set up a barricade? Why would he try and keep them from that? God understood that in his presence, he is so much, he's going to be made manifest. And what happens there, if you're not clothed in the glory of God's life, the serpent is there accusing your heart when you stand in the presence of God and your nakedness is uncovered and you're not seeing that God's filled with tender love to clothe you, but you're thinking God is despising you and going to punish you with death. And that fear works death in you. It's the same thing that happened with Herod. The angel showed up in the corner after Herod announced himself to be God. And Herod, his heart was smitten. What was it smitten with? Fear. Why? He didn't see the same glory in the angel in himself. And that worked death in him. If you go and read historical accounts, it doesn't say Herod died immediately. It says he was consumed by gangrenous worms. Ananias and Sapphira. Again, we read that and just assume they died because God punished them with death. But if you go and read the account, it doesn't say God punished them with death. It says Satan was in their heart. What was Satan doing in their heart? You think he was telling them, at a boy? At a girl? You think he was telling them how righteous they were? You think he was telling them about the God that's going to gift them with eternal life? No. You know what Satan was doing? Uncovering their nakedness, accusing them. That accusation that was in their heart worked fear in them. Fear of what? Fear that God would punish them with death. What did that fear produce in them? Death. Who produced the fear, God or the serpent? Who produced the death, God or the serpent? Who's been a murderer from the beginning, God or the serpent? The serpent gets it right to murder us and then tell us it's God. Guilt by association. <laughs> right? So what, what happened is the people, when they, the Hebrews, when they saw people would die in the presence of God, they saw it's a sign that God's desire for sinners is to punish them. It filled them with the fear of punishment. And that fear was keeping people from coming to God. It was keeping people from being able to stand in the presence of God with the blameless heart. Their heart was all the time accusing them when they thought of standing in the presence of God. Right? because they thought punishment was waiting for them. Okay, Hebrews 10, 19, and 20. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil. That is to say, his flesh. And so what he's saying is the high priest made a way for us to come into the holiest place. And he made a way for us to come in there by giving up his body to be broken. That's his flesh. 
And so how does that make a way for us to come in? It makes a way for us to come in because God prepared himself a body, a body that he could offer up to be broken for us. And that rinsed the veil. The way it rinsed the veil is that it cleanses the image of God in our hearts because we no longer see God desiring to punish us when we're in dead in sin, but we see a God desiring to give his own body to be torn apart by our sin so that we could be healed. And now we no longer see God as the punisher. We see him as the healer. We no longer see God as the one that afflicts us with death. We see a God that rather take our death than do himself than let us die. That cleanses his image in our hearts. The veil is rent and we can come right into the presence of God. Hallelujah. It gives us a blameless heart. All of a sudden, our heart doesn't condemn us in his presence because we see he's not condemning us. We see he's not the one uncovering our nakedness. He's not the one ashamed of us. He's not the one hating us. We see that it's the strong man that was accusing us. It's the strong man that was uncovering our nakedness. And when Jesus, as God, gives his own body up to be broken for our sin to save us from death, what happens is, is it binds the strong man in our hearts. It rebukes the devourer. It cleanses our heart from the accusation of the evil one. All of a sudden, we have a blameless heart when we think about standing in the presence of God. Guess what's happening? We come in running to God now. You see, the, the, devil, the devil tried to set up shop in mankind. I'm going to make my own house. I'm going to make man my temple. Is what the devil wanted to do. And he wanted to create in us a stony heart. A stony heart is a heart that's blind to the tender love of God. A stony heart is a heart that doesn't see that God is filled with mercy. It's a heart that thinks God is filled with punishment. And that stony heart the devil wanted to create in us what it would do is it would cause our conscience to condemn us in God's presence. And it would keep us from being able to stand in the presence of God, right? Where even if we were in the presence of God, that stony heart would work fear and condemnation unto producing death in us. Oh, man. Well, we overcome the accusation of the evil one. We overcome what he was trying to do to give us a stony heart by the blood of God's lamb. In the word, it testifies to us. And you know what it testifies to us? God's heart's filled with tender love for you. How does the blood of the lamb testify to that? God prepared himself a body to give his body up to be broken for you. This is my body, broken for you. That's what it testifies. Like our good friend Gwendolyn Mary says, oh, it's, it, it, only a father would lay down their life for their children. And that blood of the lamb, God's the one who provided the lamb. That's his lamb. That's him. I mean, it takes somebody of equivalent value. And so he offered himself. He's the only one that could meet our value. And when we see that this God shed his own blood rather than letting us perish, what happens is, is it testifies to us that this guy loves our lives and our hearts cry out, Abba. And now the image of God has been cleansed in our heart. We don't see him like Zeus. We see him like Abba. And then we come running into the presence of God. And that's how God draws us to himself through Jesus. That's the ministry that God has in Jesus. Draw our people to us. 
so that we can clothe them with our indestructible life. How are we going to draw them to us? We're going to minister our mercy to them. How are we going to minister our mercy to them? We're going to shed our own blood and give our own bodies up to be broken. And when they see us giving our bodies to be broken for them, they're going to see our hearts are filled with tender love, not punishment. That's going to draw them to us. Oh, hallelujah. You, spoke, you see, we see the blood. We see it means God provided himself a lamb. Because God wants to perfect us from death. His image is now cleansed. Where we did have the spirit of fear in the past, because all the people we saw in the presence of God died. <laughs> These Hebrews, all the guys in the presence of God, they died, man. What are you talking about? That spirit of fear we had, not knowing it was the devil in their hearts, working death in them, thinking that what was what was waiting for us in the presence of God is punishment and death. We no longer have that spirit of fear because of the ministry of the high priest, Jesus, because of Melchizedek. We have the spirit that adopts us into the life of God. We have the spirit that sanctifies God's image in our hearts. You see the blood and it gives you a new heart. Since we just talked about the new heart with Ezekiel, you see the blood, and that blood is God creating in you a new heart. One that doesn't see him as the punisher, but sees him as the healer. And as he's sanctified in your heart, what happens is that cleanses you from your idols. It cleanses you from all the things you look to to clothe yourself with life. Right. Because why would you try to clothe yourself with life when you're naked, when you see the God who whose desire in his heart is to visit you with this tender love when he finds you naked? Mm. You see the blood and you see there's nothing to be afraid of in God. That if there was death coming to my house, this is a God that's going to step in front of me and take it into himself. This is a God that's harmless. Do you know one of the things it says about the high priest is they must be harmless? It says Jesus was harmless. Well, why does he have to be harmless? Because he's got to be able to minister to the people a God that is also harmless. So you see God is harmless. You see God Almighty offered himself to be broken for you. That draws you to God. That gets you to God. That makes a way for you to come to God. And then you know what you see when you get there? You see the reward God has to give you, the glorified man, Jesus. That's his right hand. The gift God has is eternal life. Where do you see that gift? The resurrected, glorified man, Jesus. That's the gift God has for you. But he's got to get you to him so he can give it to you. Well, how's he going to get you to him? He's going to minister the mercy in his heart towards you. How's he going to minister the mercy in his heart towards you? He's going to show you how he gave his own body up to be broken. <laughs> does that make any sense? Don't worry, I'm going to stop whether it does or not. So you don't feel, don't feel like you have to appease me so that I'll, I'll shut it down. Just tell it. Just tell him it. Yes, it makes sense. 
Oh, glory to God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, for your ministry, Lord. Let your ministry be exalted in all of our eyes. Let your ministry be exalted in this earth, Lord. Let the, the message of your mercy cover the globe. Let the, the words, the communication coming out of every minister's mouth be the, the words of your ministry to the world, the words of your high priest. Thank you, Father, that your desire is to serve us with an indestructible life, that that's always been your desire, that there's no guile in you, there's no deceit in you, there's no trickery in you, there's no darkness in you. Thank you, Lord, that the knowledge of who you really are and what is really in your heart for us is spreading across the earth. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Glory to God. I love you guys. I love you guys watching online. Thank you for coming and sitting with me and letting me share Jesus. Hallelujah.